Now, grab your Bibles, if you will, and let's go to an Old Testament passage. Uh, I want you to go to 1 Samuel chapter 25. <clears throat> this is a story. It's called an historical narrative. I'm not going to read you the whole thing. I'd love to, but it's, it's, it's rather long. But I'm going I'm to read you a portion of it, and then I'm going to tell you the story as we go. I want to I begin reading at verse 32, and I'll end at verse 35. That's, that's all I'm going to read. <clears throat> then David said to Abigail, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel who sent you this day to meet me. And blessed is your advice, and blessed are you because you have kept me this day from coming to bloodshed and from avenging myself with my own hand. For indeed, as the Lord God of Israel lives, who has kept me back from hurting you, unless you had hurried and come to meet me, surely by morning light no males would have been left to Nabal. So David received from her hand what she had brought him and said to her, Go in peace to your house. See, I have heeded your voice and respected your person. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God, this word, this word in this book, that endures forever. And guys, do you know this story? Does this ring a bell? This delightful, romantic, grace-filled story? It's, it seemed altogether appropriate, um, at least in my mind, on a day that we're trying to celebrate the role of women. Because, as you may have already known, um, the hero of this story is not a hero. It's a heroine. That is, the hero of the story is a woman. And, and that's not to say, by any stretch, that this is the only example in the Bible that we have of a, of a woman being the hero. There are, there are others, Deborah, Esther. But it is certainly not the norm of Old Testament narrative. Um, <clears throat> this story has three characters, three main characters to it. There is David, of course. Now, you know who David is. He's the shepherd boy who becomes king and writes half of the Psalms and slays Goliath and that guy, David. Then there is Nabal. I'll tell you about him in a minute. And then there is Nabal's wife, whose name is Abigail. Those are the three characters in this story, and I want to I tell you the story um, for several reasons which I hope will be beneficial to you. First of all, <clears throat> let me tell you about David because at this, at this point in David's life, David is an outlaw. He, he is indeed the um, God-appointed heir apparent to the throne of Israel. But the current king of Israel is a guy by the name of Saul. And Saul hates him, wants to kill him, and is chasing him around the countryside, trying to find him, um, <clears throat> brings a small army with him to try and kill David. David at this point is followed by 400 um, desperate folks. Now, <clears throat> I call them desperate folks because the Bible does. 
This is in chapter 22, verse, verse 2, where it says, um, And everyone who was in distress, everyone who was in debt, and everyone who was discontented gathered to David. <clears throat> David is leading an army of about 400 people who are all in debt. <laughs> they're discontented and they're in debt. Um, his headquarters is a cave, the cave of Adullam. Um, so what you've got here is a, um, is a vigilante army. It's a guerrilla army. Uh, they're soldiers of fortune, uh, an army which grows to about, over time, grows to about 600. But David is leading a ragtag band of dispossessed men and malcontents. Now, to his credit, that is to David's credit, um, he on two occasions refuses to um, take advantage of a situation and kill Saul um, because he calls him the Lord's anointed. I'm not going to lay hands on the Lord's anointed. On one occasion in chapter 24, David has him right where he wants him, Saul is going to the bathroom, and David refuses to strike him. Um, On another occasion, in chapter 26, uh, Saul is sound asleep, and David refuses to to touch him. So here's my point. In between 24 and 26, two chapters where David acted reasonably, honorably, we get this story. The one that's our text this morning about Abigail. So in between these two nice things that seem to be saying about David, we have this story in chapter 25. Now, David is, um, David has got an army. He needs to keep his army busy. So at this point uh, in all the proceedings, David's army is protecting the sheep of a man by the name of Nabal. (laughs) Just a quick word about Nabal. Um, you, You can see this in verse 25. The Hebrew word Nabal means fool. Now, can you imagine a couple of parents naming their child Fool? Oh, darling, guess what? We just said a baby boy. Let's call him Fool. Well, apparently, this is a nickname or it's it's merely the name that the narrator chooses to describe this man. But, But whatever the case, Nabal is known for his churlish, boorish behavior. So... Um, on, while David's men protect his sheep, uh, we're told in verse 4 that it's now sheep shearing season. It's time to shear the sheep. So David sends a few of his men um, down to Nabal 
uh, asking for some kind of remuneration for their services. And this is how Nabal responds. It's in verse 10 and 11. Then Nabal answered David's servants and said, Who is David? And who is this son of Jesse? There are many servants nowadays who break away each one from his master. Shall I then take my bread and my water and my meat that I have killed for my shears and give it to men when I don't know where they are from? Now, are you with me? Uh, The army protects the sheep all year long. Sheep shearing season. David sends some of his men looking for uh, some kind of reward for their services. And Nabal responds like this. Who's this David guy? I'm not giving any of my meat to him. When the report gets back to David, it's in verse 13, that Nabal has acted like this, David wastes no time. Um, David is hot. And um, he wants to give vent to all of his sinful impulses. And he tells his soldiers, grab your weapons. We're going to get a little revenge. David is bloodthirsty. This thing has become a, a personal vendetta for David. David is armed and dangerous. He's armed and angry. And this is the, is this the same David that we saw in chapter 24 and chapter 26 who acted so honorably? Yeah, I'm afraid it is. He is riled right here. And he is on his way to wreak havoc upon Nabal and all things Nabal. At this point in the story, verse 14, enters the hero, the heroine. Abigail. In, in fact, ladies and gentlemen, <clears throat> you don't have one fool in this story. You have two fools in this story. You've got Nabal, who is known to be a fool, and then you've got David, who's acting like a fool. The only person who is honorable in this entire story is the woman, Abigail, Nabal's wife. She wasn't there when the 10 men came and asked for this payment. But when she hears how her husband has responded to uh, David's men, oh, she bolts into action. <clears throat> and what you get in the story, it's, 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 it's rather dramatic and rather romantic, I think. You have um, Abigail... Riding on her mule, running towards David. And you got David running on his mule, 
riding towards Abigail. She carries a gift with her, a gift of food. It's mentioned in verse 18. And then in verse 23, they meet. Um, Take a look at it, guys, because this is what she does in verse 23. Um, She dismounted quickly from the donkey, fell on her face before David, and bowed down to the ground. Abigail, knowing who David is and knowing certain things about his future, uh, bows before him as he is, as if he is already the king. And then, ladies and gentlemen, she makes a speech. <laughs> it's um, verses 24 to 31. I'm not going to read you the whole thing. But there in front of David, she says a few things to David. First of all, look at verse 28. In verse 28, she reminds David of his future. She says, please forgive the trespass of your your maidservant, for the Lord will certainly make my Lord, David, an enduring house, because my Lord, David, fights the battles of the Lord, and evil is not found in you throughout your days. David, David, stop this. Don't you know who you are? And as she reminds him of who he is, she also reminds him of the conduct that is expected of someone in his position. Then, in verse 29, she points him to God. She says in verse 29, Yet a man has risen to pursue you, and see, that's Saul, but the life of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of the living with the Lord your God, and the lives of your enemies he shall sling out. Do you notice that language, he shall sling out? That's kind of a subtle reminder of David's great victory over Goliath when he used the sling, you remember? She is is pointing him to the God to whom he belongs. And then she says in verse 31, David, you need to leave the revenge to God. You need to let God handle this situation. David, you're not going to be a, a, um, a, a guerrilla chieftain all of your life. So, let God handle this. <laughs> what a woman. What a, what a speech. She single-handedly turns this, this entire event around. But not just this event. She turns David's future around and thus all of Israel's future. And then we're told in verse 38 that 10 days later, her husband, Nabal, has this huge heart attack and drops over dead. (laughs) 
The text says that she grieved for the appropriate length of time and David sends for her and marries her. What a story. David says in verse 39, he says in essence, you saved me. Saved him not in the ultimate sense, but she saved him from doing something really bad. Gentlemen, women often do that for us, do they not? That is, the women in our lives, they, they civilize us. They're, they're often wiser than we are. You've heard me say on numerous occasions that the greatest counselor I have in my life is my wife. How many of us as men uh, regret having taken the, the advice of our wife? You know, we used to say in our home, kind of laughingly, we would say, Susie is grace and Jimmy is law in the home. Well, tell me, which one is the most beautiful, grace or law? Um, they, are, they are more delicate. I, I'm not saying they're weaker. I'm saying they're more delicate. And, and they temper us. And I would say to you ladies, you lose your power when you lose your gentleness. But gentlemen, it was, it was God who said about us, men, that it is not good for them to be alone. God said that. Tell me, brothers, what is it that he knew about us? What is it that God knew about us men that immediately led him to put a woman in our lives? I, 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 the text never tells us, but, but the, it begs the question, what might David have done without Abigail and what might we have done gentlemen without the woman that God put into our lives the only hero in this story is a woman now I've told you on numerous occasions in the past that these Old Testament stories, their, their message is layered. They're called historical narratives. These historical narratives, have, they have messages that are layered. And I've just given you the top layer. What I, what I want to do as I close is that I, wanna, I want you to go down deeper with me to the next layer where I'm suggesting there is a very interesting gospel message in this story. Let me show it to you. Gang, here's the storyline of this story. God stops us on our head, in our headlong pursuit of self-destruction. God prevents me 
from giving vent to all of my sinful impulses. In this story, he used a woman. Um, he has kept us from things that perhaps others have, have, uh, have fallen into. But guys, look at David in this story. How's he acting? Here's what he's doing. Well, <laughs> um, very proud of my, my, my behavior. Very proud of my performance and my men. Why, we've been protecting these sheep for years. And we've done a good job. We've done a very good job in our serving. So now, <laughs> yes, sir, it's, uh, it's sheep shearing season. You know, the day of judgment is rolled around. And um, I, I'm, I'm going to go before God and I'm going to say, did you notice how I've served you? Because I've really done well. <laughs> and um, you owe me. I'm very deserving. I'm very deserving of something <clears throat> that, um, that I have coming to me as a result of all of my faithful service over the years. Ladies and gentlemen, that is the mindset of the self-righteous. And people go and stand before God just like that every day. Hey, God, <laughs> you know, uh, sheep shearing season's here. And, uh, you, know, uh, you know, I've been, I've been serving you faithfully all these years. <laughs> And, uh, you know, uh, now we're here at the, at the payoff, and um, <clears> they <throat> got. You owe me. You know, I got something coming based on my uh, years of faithful service. <laughs> Tell me. In this story, did Nabal really owe David? <laughs> no, he didn't. And when the days of sheep shearing roll around for you, does God owe you? You know, what God has done in his immense kindness is that he has stopped a lot of us on our, in our headlong pursuits of destruction. And by, by stopping us in our pursuits, we have had the, the grand and glorious privilege of avoiding some of the consequences of sin that we would love to have wreaked upon ourselves. Guys, um... This little story in 1 Samuel 25, it's, it's a real blow to the, to the self-righteous. Um, we, we think, or tend to think, that we've really, really performed well over these past few years. 
And, uh, you know, I've been protecting those sheep of God's for uh, quite a while now. And, you know, and as a result of my outstanding performance, uh, God, um, you know, owes me something. You know, I, I can say just as an aside, what would have happened, do you think, had I had an affair? Just a rot gut adultery. I haven't. But what would have happened? Well, that wouldn't have, that wouldn't have booted me out of the kingdom. But the consequences. The consequences of me having done something like that would have just been at least, for my money, catastrophic. Oh, that I could just take that back. But God in his kindness prevented me from giving expression to all of the sinful inclinations that rise up within me. You know, we, we honestly think, well, I'm doing pretty good. Yes, sir, I'm performing quite well, and my service is just impeccable. And then a set of circumstances arises, and we're exposed for what we really are. You know, um, we're not as vile as we could have been. And you know why? Because God in his kindness has stopped us. We have experienced great temptation. And um, we even have desires to match those temptations. But God in his kindness has not seen fit to give us an occasion. An occasion for us to give vent to all of those sinful impulses that are down in there. And oh, by the way, if you're determined to press through to get that occasion, well, I can tell you how to do that. Paul tells us, he says in Galatians 6, he says, just sow to the flesh. Remember what he says? You sow to the flesh and you'll reap to the whirlwind. You'll reap corruption. So keep sowing to the flesh. Keep going to those websites where, there, where there's porn. Keep going. Keep emailing your old high school sweetheart. Keep going. You get there. And then, my dear friend, the consequences will be But what this story is telling us about God is that God on occasion sees fit to step in and stop us. He sends, he sends an Abigail. And by the way, he's not limited to Abigail. He's got all kinds of things that he does. For example, um, 
I'm convinced that the purpose of much of the trial that you and I experience, the pain, the difficulty, is designed to stop us from pursuing our own sin. Um, He withholds certain prosperity from us because he knows it will ruin us. He, um, He lands us on a sickbed because we're on our way armed and angry to pursue our sin. Guys, just take a minute and look back. And you know what you're going to see? You're going to see God's hand in places where I might have ruined myself. Oh, my friends, how much sorrow we have been spared. You know, I can't speak for you. I'll just speak for me. But I got enough sin anyway to deal with. Not to mention the stuff that he spared me from without that other stuff that he prevented. Brother and sister, beware. Beware of of being suddenly overtaken because the best of us, the best of us, David, the best of us still have such sinful impulses inside us that were we to give vent to them, we would be ruined. Um, apart from this kindness, David would have been ruined. And David would have become unbearable. And you know what? I can say the same thing. Depart, apart from these, these, these interruptions that God has simply gotten in my way, I would be unbearable. You know, God preventing us from pursuing our sin is such an unbelievable kindness because I I think you know that sin has a tendency to harden us. And we get harder and harder and we become irrational and then we go sin some more. And then the little sins become the stepping stones to bigger sins. And God sees fit to step in and stop us. You know, guys, I gotta hurry, but in verses 32 and 33, God, I mean, or David blesses God that he had prevented him and the agency that God used to protect David from himself was a woman. You know, guys, I I often pray this. I mean, I pray it probably five times a week. I pray, God, Would you steer me around those traps that Satan is setting for me because I am no match for him? And God sees fit often to answer that. And he often uses my wife to do so. But he's certainly not limited to my wife. Gang, if anybody in this story... 1 Samuel 25, 
If anybody in this story knows anything about or speaks anything about the gospel in this story, it is not David. He's so impressed with all of the good things that he's done for Nabal, and he expects a reward. He's blinded by his own self-righteousness. And because of his self-righteousness, he's planning some more sin. The only one in this story that knows anything about the gospel is a woman. And let me show you. First of all, she points David to God. And she says, David, God will accomplish what you cannot accomplish. Secondly, she tells him, God will will defeat your enemies. Um, You're not able to do that, David. God will defeat your enemy. And then thirdly, she says, God will offer a solution for the sinful situation in which you find yourself. In this situation with pits fool number one against fool number two, God will provide a solution for that. And the good news of the gospel, ladies and gentlemen, is that he has. God has provided a solution for the sinful and wicked dilemma in which I find myself. And he has provided that solution, all of it, through Christ. The righteousness that I don't have, Jesus Christ does have. And he gives me his. The enemy that wants to suck me into the pit of hell, who is too big for me to battle, his head got crushed. Where? On the cross. By whom? By Jesus Christ. God remedied all of my sinful dilemma in Christ Jesus. And that's the only way that he ever remedies my sin. God saved this fool by sending Christ And then knowing that I still have a love for sin, he graciously, unpredictably, sends some Abigail to stop me in my pursuit of sin. What a story. What a God. Guys, Abigail's not the hero of this story. God is.
Our Father, would you remind us of all the extremes to which you have gone so that fools like Jimmy Young could be spared the pursuits of his own self-righteousness. Would you, um, would you remind us all that the dilemma in which we find ourselves cannot be remedied by our machinations. There's only one remedy, and that remedy is Christ Jesus in him only. He's the one that defeated my enemy. He's the one that paid for my sin. He's the one that gave me his righteousness. And because of all that, I belong to the living God. For the rest of us in, there, in here who can say that, Lord, we bless you on a day where we remember all of the kindnesses done us through the women that you put in our lives. We ask it, of course, in Jesus' name.